Matthew chapter 5. Get out your Bibles. Let's dive into this. I've talked about it for two weeks. Talked about what we're going to do. Now, today we're going to do it. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Any of you guys ever been to uh, Chuck E. Cheese? You ever played uh, Whack-A-Mole? You know, these little things pop up and you get to whack it with a hammer. It's kind of a good uh, uh, stress reliever, isn't it? Because you know, you just want to hit something, but one pops up, you hit it, what happens? The next one pops up, you hit it, what happens? Two more pop up, you hit it, what happens? Three more pop up. You know, I think the game's demonic, you can't win. <laughs> you don't get done and feel like you finished, you feel like you've just gotten started, you need to keep on hitting it some more. Well, you know, I think that game, uh, whack-a-mole, is a metaphor of our life. Just about the time you've got one problem taken care of, another one pops up. You take the hammer and you bust it, next thing you know, two more pop up. Take care of those and here comes three more and you know it goes on and on. Sometimes we feel like we can't win and we just want to give up and walk away. You know, this is also true, I believe, about persistent sins. Not just problems, but persistent sins and temptations. Just about the time you think you've got victory over that sin or that temptation, what does it do? It pops back up. Just having that conversation with somebody this morning. You can go and read self-help books and they'll teach you how to whack faster. How to be better. But you know what? That is not God's way. God wants to help you unplug the power out of that sin so that that sin doesn't come back. It's not something that you should have to deal with the rest of your life. You know, let me take a survey here for just a minute, if you don't mind to confess just for a second. Have you ever stayed up later than you should have? Have you ever stayed up too late and then you slept through church? Look, look at the person next to you, make sure they're not asleep. All right. I know you sleep, I can see you. You ever ate too many calories or drank too many calories and you knew you shouldn't have? Have you ever made commitments that you knew you couldn't keep? Have you ever made commitments to exercise and you didn't? Have you ever hoped that you could be kind and unselfish, but what you wound up being was unkind and selfish? Have you ever tried to take control of your life, a circumstance, or another person to discover you couldn't? It's one of the hardest things to realize is that I can't control somebody else. Welcome to the human race. And welcome to Church on the Hill. You are at the right church, if that's you. You know, even the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians to ever walk this earth, struggled. Struggled with his life. Look what it says here in Romans chapter 7. He said, I don't know what to do. I don't understand what, what I do. I want What I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate to do, I end up doing. I know that nothing good lives in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Can anybody relate? Now, if you read some commentary on this scripture, you're going to see differing views. Some have said that this comes from his pre-Christian days, before he was born again, before he had the Holy Spirit in him. But I think that's completely wrong. This is right here in the middle of Romans 7. This is him as a Christian. 
Him filled with the Spirit writing a huge portion of the New Testament. A man that you would think would have it together. But he says, you know what? No, I struggle. I know what's right to do, but I won't. The things I hate to do is what I do. I can't figure this thing out. Can anybody relate? The Apostle Paul had the same problem, so it's okay. If you looked in your notes, I don't know if I have this down there. Let's take a look here real quick. Yeah, I'm a little bit ahead. If you looked in your notes, everybody got notes? There's a bunch of, there's a bunch of topics right here. And it says circle all that apply. If you don't mind, only you're going to see this unless you show it around to somebody. But circle all that apply. What are you battling in your life? Is it stress? Is it fear? Is it overwork? Is it attractions that I shouldn't have maybe to another person or something else? Or is it addictions or regrets or diets? What about worry? What about bad habits? Anger? Does that keep popping up in your life? What about dishonesty? The need to control. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you can't pay your bills. Maybe it's relationship. Painful memories that keep popping up. Maybe it's perfectionism, resentment, compulsive thoughts. If you've ever had, if you've had to circle any of these, can I encourage you just a minute? You're in the right church. Because this is a church where we need to grow, where we need help, where we don't have it all together. We don't have it all together. And you know what the cause of all these problems is? And you know what? I've touched on this before. This isn't new to Church on the Hill, but I believe all our problems come back to the same root. Every problem in our life comes back to the same root. It's us playing God. It's us playing God. What do I mean? It means when I make my own choices outside of what God wants me to do, I am playing God in my life. And it's the oldest temptation in the book. It's the oldest temptation to man to play God. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam was tempted to eat the fruit, that God says, I'm just going to give you one choice, Adam. I'm just going to make you have to think about one thing. Everything else, just go and live your life. It's going to be a great life. But don't eat this fruit. That's all you got to worry about. Just don't eat this fruit. And what does Satan come and say? you got to eat the fruit. God's holding back on you. If you eat the fruit, you'll be like a God. You'll be a God. Satan's pretty smart. He doesn't say, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like me, Satan. Because what would we do? If we approached a temptation and we realized, if I do this, I'm going to be like Satan. Don't you think you turn around and go the other way? The problem is we come to these temptations and think, man, that looks good. And what does Satan do? Satan says this one thing of obedience that God's called you to do. He's done that because he's after you and he doesn't want you to be as good as him. And he's holding back on you. I'm telling you the truth. Eat the fruit. Then you'll be like him. Then you'll be like him. Then you'll be able to solve all your problems. And you know this thing about playing God isn't new. Have you ever heard of the New Age movement? You know what it's saying? That you're a God, that you're divine. That God is you and you are God? Let me tell you, no, you're not God. This new age thing is one of the oldest lies ever told. You're not God. Can I, I'm going to give you a revelation. If you've been struggling with this, and let me tell you, the world struggles with this. If you were God, you could solve all your problems. Are all your problems solved? Then you're not God. 
Revelation. I'm telling you, it'll change your life. If the light bulb can go off today, if, if the light bulb can go off, in Jesus' name, let the light of your Holy Spirit go off in us today. Not off, go on. That came out wrong. If the light, whatever, you got it. We're looking for the Holy Spirit, right? You know, it's not new. Look what it says in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 2. This is when Ezekiel was talking to the king of Tyre. He says, in the pride of your heart you say, I am a God, but you are just a man and not a God, though you think you are as wise as a God. Listen, this isn't new. This isn't new. Every time God tells us to do something and we don't do it, guess what? We're playing God. We're saying that I actually know how to make myself happy better than God does. And you know what the root of this is? It, it, it says it right here. Look what it says in Proverbs chapter 29. Pride ruins people. Pride ruins people. Let me ask you something. Anybody ever had a problem with a relationship? More than one? More than two? Today? On the way to church? Since you've been at church? You've been thinking about what happened yesterday? Well, let me ask you, of all the broken relationships, of all the struggling relationships you've had in your whole life, what is the one common denominator? Me. <laughs> Everything else has changed. The people have changed, the circumstances changed, but the one common denominator has always been you. You're your worst enemy. You're your biggest problem. Not the other person. We want to think it's our husband. <laughs> we want to think it's our wife. We want to think it's this. We want to think it's that. Nope. It's me. It's me. It's me. It's me. Oh, how does that go? God standing in. The... Yeah. Standing in the need of prayer. It's me. You know what, if you could come to the point in your life where you'd say, you know what, the issues I'm walking into, it's me, God. It's me. I believe is a great first step. You know, but Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5, he starts off, let's just, let's just turn to there. Y'all, y'all turn with me there if you've got your Bibles with you. Matthew 5. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him. Those that were around him came to him, and he began to teach. He began to teach. Now, he's going to start off, and he's going to say, I'm going to show you how to be blessed. Now, this blessed word, if you go back to the Greek, basically just means happy. And I don't mean a false happy. I don't mean a happy that maybe you Alabama fans feel just because y'all squeaked that one out yesterday. But, you know, real happiness Real happiness, like when UT finally won a game yesterday. That's real happiness. Just kidding, they finally won against Troy, whoever that is. But anyway, how many of you have, have experienced worldly happiness? It's okay, we all have. How many of you have experienced godly happiness? There's a big difference. There is no comparing the two. They can't compare. They can't be in the same room with each other. I can't even begin to bring that, those two worlds together. They're, not, they're, they're incompatible. Godly happiness and worldly happiness. 
But that's where the Lord is going to say, you know what? You follow me, I'm going to make you happy. And the kind of happiness that can't be robbed from you. The real happiness. So I want you to catch this because we're going to read these and they go, blessed is the, blessed is the. And we're going to want to forget it is Jesus teaching. This is Jesus teaching. So look what it says. Oops, I hit it again. Ah, Sometimes I get in too big of a hurry. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what he's saying? Nobody gets into heaven pridefully. It's all by grace. Scripture says, not by works, lest any man should boast. But what does it mean to be poor in spirit? That's what I want us to look at today. Blessed are the poor in spirit. On your notes, if you've got them there in front of you, circle. Do I even have the scripture? I don't, do you? Uh, yeah, down at the bottom. Down at the bottom, first choice. Circle in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about physical poverty. There is no blessing in being poor physically. He's talking about being spiritually poor, recognizing my sinfulness, recognizing my hopelessness, my helplessness. I love the God's Word translation says it this way, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. Do you see what he's saying? Blessed are those that realize you need God. That's the start, and I believe, I believe uh, the, the first beatitude is sometimes the hardest, that we've got to recognize we need help. I have to recognize that I have a need, and it cannot be filled on my own strength, and you can't fill it. Nothing on this world can fill it. Only God can fill it. Blessed will be those who look to the Lord for their need. Do you see the start? The light bulb needs to go on in your life that we have a great need. It's what it means to be poor in spirit. God says if you'll develop that attitude that I admit that I'm powerless, that I admit that I need help, that I can't control and manage everything in my life, but that I need God's help, you know what he says? He says you'll be happy. You'll be blessed. It's the first step to being blessed. Now let's look. How do we develop this attitude of being poor in spirit? Not physically poor, spiritually poor. You know, they're not called the be attitudes for nothing. We need to be. The first step is to be. What, what means is we need to do the changing. We need to change our attitude. Are you all out there this morning? How to develop being poor in spirit? What must I do? The first thing I must do is I must humbly admit I need help. I've got to face the truth about me. I've got to stop living in denial. You know, Jesus says the truth will set you free. So I have to face the truth about me. But the truth is, about the truth, is we don't like the truth. We can't handle the truth. You don't like the truth about you. You like the truth about your neighbor, but you hate the truth about you. We avoid it and we fake it. And the problem is it's painful. The truth is painful sometimes to get through that initial hit. We'd rather live phony lives. 
It feels a lot safer not to handle the truth about me because even though the truth sets me free, it first makes me miserable when I realize I need to change. Nobody likes to come to church or to work or anywhere and think, I got to change. Come into marriage, let me tell you, it's a big change. Somebody say amen. Amen. When you first go to school, you take your kindergartner to school, and you know what? They think the world's all about them. Next thing they find out is, this isn't like home. When I cry, I don't get what I want. I have to be quiet, and I have to raise my hand to talk. I never have to raise my hand to talk. I don't like this. I want to go home. I've got to admit I need help. So, that's where we start. I humbly admit I need help. That's being honest. The good news is your habits and your hurts and your hang-ups, they can be healed. What you're battling, there is healing in store for you. There's healing. God is a healer. The bad news, it takes humility. You've got to humble yourself and swallow your pride. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Do you see that when you're proud, you're actually pushing God out of the picture? When pride is winning in your life, you are removing God and it, it is the recipe for disaster. Amen? In the next several weeks, if you can grab hold of these first eight statements, your life is going to change. Your life is going to change. But I want you to know, grabbing hold of these Beatitudes is not going to be done by willpower. Willpower doesn't work. How many diets have you started? How many exercise programs have you started? How many times have you tried to quit smoking? How many times have you tried to quit that thing that's got a hold of you? Willpower won't do it. You know what power you need? You need grace. You need grace. Grace is the power that God gives us to change. Grace is the power that God gives us to change. So let me ask you, how do we get grace? He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. You know, Brother Rob sharing the word that he shared this morning, he he talked to us, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this, Rob, but he said, you know what I think it was? I think it was a panic attack. And you know what? That's a a humbling statement. But it's a a freeing, it's a God-freeing statement to realize that when we worry, we have just removed the trust of God. We're now basing it on your reaction or what you've said or whatever circumstance and not on who God is. That's where fear comes from. Fear is the absence of God. Are you battling fear? What you need is you need God. You need to draw nearer to God because perfect love, God, casts out all fear. As you draw near to God over the next few weeks with the Beatitudes, you are going to start pushing out some of that nasty stuff. You're going to start pushing out some of that nasty stuff. So how do we admit? How do we say these things? 
admit these things that we're walking through. Let's, let's look at the first one here in your notes. I need to admit on developing being poor of spirit. I need to admit that I'm broken. Why? Because we live in a broken world. And in a falling world, nothing works perfectly. Not our weather. The weather doesn't work perfectly. Not our economy. Not our voting system. Not our political party. Not our relationships. Not our marriages. Everything is broken. Have you noticed even the body doesn't work perfectly? Even our DNA is broken. And do you know God never intended for these deformities in this world? For these physical deformities, these emotional, these mental deformities? But we live in a broken world. And you can't expect two broken people to get married and have a perfect marriage. That's just foolish. It takes work. It takes dying. It takes giving yourself. The Bible says in Romans 8.20 that creation is confused. It's frustrated. It's groaning. You know, everybody's confused today. I don't know what I'm supposed to be, what I'm supposed to do. We've got confused attitudes, confused attractions, confused addictions, confused about everything. People trying to be other people, young people trying to be old people, old people trying to be young people, men trying to be women, women trying to be men, races trying to be different races. We are confused with everything. We are not happy with anything. But the Lord said, blessed or happy will you be if you do these things. If you follow me. I believe our unhappiness is a call or a wake-up call to know we we have stepped away from the presence of God. Because the Word of God tells me that when I follow Him in the power and the light that the Lord has given me, that I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be content. I'm going to know who I am when I stand before you and I get empty looks like, no, I don't know what He's talking about. You know, that happens. Have you ever talked to somebody and it's just like, you know, Elizabeth, Elizabeth says, I do that to her sometimes. I'm, I, I'm hearing her, but I'm not engaged. You know, I've got the football game in the background. I'm, kind of, I'm looking at her, but, you know, are you watching the game? No. I'm not engaged. I've got to admit I am broken. Creation is confused. Do not think you're going to be confused. God, you you need to be who God made you. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. Your hang-ups, your quirks, your personality is there for a reason. You know what? When you get under the authority of God and under the teaching of God and you start walking it out, your your personality is going to shine. It's going to shine. Those things that have been fighting you all this life is going to start working for you. God created you to be successful. Our identities are confused because we live in a broken world. You've been broken by sins done by you, and you've been broken by sins done to you. You've been broken by circumstances. You know what? It really doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. Why? Nobody's perfect. I'm broken, and I need to admit that. Second thing I need to admit, and guys, this is a biggie. My secrets make me sick. I don't mean they 
they upset me. I mean, they literally make me sick. Look at what it says in Psalm 32. David is talking here. He says, when I refused to confess my sins, I was weak and miserable and I groaned all day long. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide them all and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. You know what he's saying? All the weight that I had on me when I was holding my sin is gone because I don't have it anymore. I've given it to you. All my guilt is gone. He said, when I held in all these secrets, I got sick. It's not so much what you eat, it's what's eating you. If you're tired all the time and frustrated all the time and you've got all these problems, guess what? You need to take a look at what you're holding inside. Because Scripture shows us our secrets make us sick. And when we get them out, we start to feel a whole lot better. You know, church, hiding never works. Listen to me, when you hide a sin... It increases. It gets worse in your life, not better. You say, I don't want anybody to know this. And it becomes a compulsion and it becomes the only thing you can think about. When Satan said, don't eat this fruit, you know what? All of a sudden, Adam couldn't think about anything but that fruit. Now it's the only thing that he can see. When we hide a fear, you know what happens? It intensifies. You go to bed thinking about it. You dream about it. You wake up the next morning thinking about it. You can't get rid of it. It consumes you. When you hide a hurt or a memory, you know what? It imprints on your mind, and it gets stronger and stronger. Hiding a hurt, hiding a sin, hiding a fear never works. It only intensifies in your life. So let me ask you a question. What are you pretending like isn't a problem in your life? What has got a hold of you? Next thing I need to admit. I'm broken My secrets make me sick. I need to admit it to defeat it. I can't work out the sins in my life until I admit the sins in my life. I can't work out the hang-ups or the fears in my life until I admit them. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. It says, you will never succeed in life. That's a pretty big statement. I would hope you'll listen. You will never succeed in life. I don't like that. You want to be a success in life? You will never be a success in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them and give them up. Then God will show mercy. God says that. When you're holding on to your sin, you are fighting against God. We, may, we waste so much energy hiding our hurts, our faults, our hang-ups. All that energy you use to pretend that you're somebody that you're not, and you hide your weakness and your faults from other people, it drains your life, and that's why you're tired all the time. So I'm broken. My secrets keep me sick. I can't defeat it until I admit it. And then finally, it's my pride and fear that keep me stuck. You know what? We need to quit blaming everything else. It's us that keep us stuck. And this problem is as old as man. Look at what it said right here after Adam had sinned in the garden. He just ate the fruit. He and Eve had just ate the fruit. And all of a sudden, look what Adam says. 
God's going looking for him and he hides. Adam, God says, Adam, where are you? Now I want to encourage you, when God asks a rhetorical question or he asks you a question, he already knows the answer. He already knows, so you might as well come clean right away. Don't play games with God. He is all-knowing. And look what he said, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. What was the first fear? It was the fear of exposure. Somebody's going to find out what I'm really like. And you know what? That's how Satan gets you to stay in bondage your whole life. Somebody's going to find out what I'm really like. I was afraid because I was naked. That's the way we feel, vulnerable, naked. So I hid. And people have been hiding and hurling ever since. We hide our sins and we hurl at everyone else. If you go to Matthew 25 and you look at the parable of the talents, you know what the guy with the one talent said? He said, I was afraid, so I hid my talent. A lot of you are doing that, and it's pride. You know, that man did not know God. He said, I know you to be a hard man. I know you to be mean. I know you to be shrewd, and you're going to be hard on me. So I hid it. Here it is. And God's basically saying, you don't know me. If you'd known me, you would have gotten to work. I'm for you. I want to bless you. I want to give you more. Instead, I'm going to take that away because you don't know me. So I hid my talent. You know what that is? That's pride. I don't want anyone to know my weakness. And it's fear. I'm scared to death of my weakness. And you know what? That's Satan keeping you from getting well keeping you from getting healthy and whole and growing and getting unstuck. There is a lot of fear over Satan's kingdom if you get unstuck. Your marriage is going to get rescued. Your family is going to get rescued. and You're going to start doing things for the kingdom. You're going to start to be a success in what you're doing. You're going to start looking like you're a child of the king. That's what we look like. You know, when, when you're asked, and, and I, I, I did this today, how you doing? I'm okay. How about you? I'm okay. What's the, what's the most text word text today? K. You know, some people, I mean, it doesn't even make sense in the sentence you're talking about. Hey, we had a great day today. How's the weather? K. Like, are you even reading what I'm sending to you? K. Not even okay or O. K or O-K-A-Y, it's K. I don't really want to talk to you. K. The truth is, is that the right, is that K? What is K? Am I close? K. The truth is, I'm not okay. You're not okay. But that's okay, because God will make us okay. That's why Jesus came. If you're okay, imagine Jesus on the cross, hanging on the cross, nailed to the cross, bleeding, and you're saying, I'm okay. And Jesus is saying, why am I here? Why am I here? If you're okay, why am I dying on the cross for you? You're not okay. I'm not okay. But that's okay because God's grace makes us okay. 
What's not okay is your refusal to admit that you're not okay. We need each other, and we need God's grace. Now, have you ever noticed that not all vegetables, when they're rotten, stink? Some do. Have you ever smelled a rotten potato? It will, it will, uh, it will take care of business. You know, a, a potato, when it's rotten, cries out to the whole world, I am rotten. Smell me. But, you know, an avocado, when it gets rotten, won't stink. Can't hardly even tell. What am I trying to say? Some of us think if we don't stink, if you don't know that's what I'm going through, well, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Really, it's the smelly people that need the help. Go deal with the smelly people. Look at that. Woo, that person needs help. But just because your rottenness doesn't stink, it doesn't mean you're not rotten. There's stuff in you that you don't like. And I'm not even talking about the things that God likes. There are things in you that you don't like that you can't get free of. You know, you might say, I wish I could be more loving, more unselfish. I wish I didn't lose my temper so much. I wish I didn't have that compulsion. I wish I didn't have that fear. I wish I wasn't so insecure. The point is, the point is nobody's more broken than you. And you're not more broken than anybody else. Nobody's more broken than you. And you're not any more broken than anybody else. We're in the same boat. And because of our pride and our fear, we don't want to be honest about this. We don't want to admit our weaknesses, our fears. We don't want to admit. We, because of our pride, we try to fix ourselves. As I close, look at this scripture here. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. My people have committed two sins. Number one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. You know what it's saying? God's saying, I'm the one who's got all the answers. God says for your life. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. The answers that you need, they have turned from. You catch that? And number two, they've dug their own broken wells, their own broken cisterns, cisterns, and they can't hold water. Not only do we reject God, but we make up our own plan to try to make it in our life. And then we go to the point of trying to get God to bless it or blame God for the hole we dug. And it doesn't hold water. The amazing thing is that we try everything except God. We try astrology. We try aromatherapy. We try crystals. Reading your palms. Acupuncture. Go to fads, therapies, uh, conferences, cults, motivation seminars. Read books. Do some of the stupidest things. And we don't even try God. We build our own wells. And the wells are cracked. And they won't hold water. Let me close with this statement right here. You cannot solve a spiritual problem with a physical substance. We are trying to plug the dam with physical substances and not with God. 
We're like the Dutch boy who's got our fingers stuck in the dam trying to do it all. And we're leaving God out and we're using our toes and everything that we know to use. Our nose, we're sticking everything and everywhere that we can. And God says, you've rejected me and you're trying to do it on your own. Where are you? I'm here. The first thing in being poor in spirit is I have to admit I don't have it together. Next week, we're going to pick right back up still here in poor in spirit. Can you see how big this is? How big it is that we make that commitment to ask God, we need help. Men, quit being so prideful and stubborn and not asking for help. What are you holding on to that needs to be confessed? What do you need to get free of? Let's get free. I'm going to ask the ushers to come on down right now. We're just going to go ahead and take communion during this moment. And I just ask you, what are you hanging on to? Right now, as we renew our covenant with Jesus Christ, as we have this image of him hanging on the cross, we are not going to say, Jesus, I'm okay. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we would say, we don't need you. He died on the cross because the world has to have him. We cannot make it without him. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you given your heart truly to him? Would you make that commitment today? That if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Church, it's time to take a stand. It's time to take a stand. The provision of Jesus on the cross is still available to you. And he died to rescue you from that pit that you're in. From that pit of sin, from that pit of relationship, from that pit of finances, from that pit of health. He died for you. Would you make a commitment today to him? And on top of that, let's make, let's make a statement that God, we need you. And we're going to make necessary adjustments to show you that we need you.